He started off helping companies buy, sell all kinds of debt, capital, equity, you name it. He's been there $2 billion in transaction volume. A lot of people have seen his work and said in 2014, you got to write a book. McGraw-Hill picked him up. Books called Pitch Anything, done very well, over a million copies sold. Uh, Now, obviously, continuing to do work around pitches and helping people pitch on multi-billion dollar deals. Also continuing with the investment banking work, doing several hundred million dollars per year there in transaction volume. This is the Top Entrepreneurs Podcast, where founders share how they started their companies and got filthy rich or crash and burn. Each episode features revenue numbers, customer counts, and other insider information that creates business news headlines. We went from a couple hundred thousand dollars to 2.7 million. I had no money when I started the company. It was $160 million, which is the size of many IPOs. We're bootstrapped. We have like 22,000 customers. With over 5 million downloads in a very short amount of time, major outlets like Inc. are calling us the fastest growing business show on iTunes. I'm your host, Nathan Latka, and here's today's episode. Hello, everyone. My guest today is Oren Claff. He has lots of experience in securities markets, uh, ranging from capital raising, advisory leadership. He's currently a director of capital markets at Investment Bank Intersection Capital, where he manages its capital raising platform. Since 2005, he's grown the firm uh, from up to about $2 billion in aggregate trade volume across a diversified portfolio of companies and transactions. He's responsible for business development and product development and oversees the firm's flagship product, Velocity Method of Corporate Finance. He's also a number one best-selling business author of the McGraw-Hill publication, Pitch Anything, an innovative method for presenting, persuading, and winning the deal. Orrin, are you ready to take us to the top? I am, I'm not sure I'm ever ready, but I do a good job once I get rolling. So I have to tell you, all the, you know, we have a very sophisticated audience, VCs, private equity, they're going to go, if, if this guy, Oren, has on $2 billion in transaction volume, what the hell is he doing wasting time on a book? Yeah, well, because I got a half basis point uh, in, uh, in cleared fees, so that's why. No, um, <laughs> you can't, if you have shitty fees, you can't make it up in volume, Right. As you may know. So so listen, uh, I worked for many years in the capital markets. Uh, at that point, we probably had five or six hundred million in aggregate volume in 2008 hit. As you know, how fun that was. Or real quick, though, tell people just so people understand when you say aggregate volume, you're saying you're buying you're helping people buy and sell companies. So you did about that much in transaction volume. Right. In actual debt, equity, mez, mar- money, marbles and chalk, as we like to call it, come in. And you clip along the way in those transactions, varying amounts. Sometimes you get 7%, sometimes you get 100 basis points, but you try and keep something left over and keep moving on by buying and selling companies, by buying and selling real estate, by buying and selling assets, and trying to keep some for the good guys. So anyway, uh, and then 2008 came and you could not raise debt. Most of our deals required debt, and we just all started looking for something uh, fun, interesting way to spend our time rather than being sad and miserable. And so you decided to write a book. And so what happened with you? Decided, well, I didn't really decide. I got invited. Somebody heard me speak. And then they said, I did a white paper. They tied it together. They said, come to New York. When I introduced you to some people, I met Simon and Schuster. I met McGraw Hill. I met a, uh, a couple other of the, uh, 
uh, I worked with um, Howard Stern's agent. Howard Stern's agent said, you're not for me because you're not a great radio host, but I know this woman, Kirsten. I met Kirsten. She goes, you're great. I got to find something to do with you. She took me on as an agent. She took me around in McGraw-Hill, said, we love you. They gave me a book contract. And then my life became miserable. Yeah, because you're, 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 I was going to say, you're right. Did you do hire a ghostwriter? You wrote it all yourself. No, I wrote it all myself. Every word for, you know, soup to nuts. It took me a year, all my time. Let me tell you how to write a book. You get a book contract, right? And then you call all your friends. And you tell them about the book you're going to write and how great it's going to be. And you write like two words. You feel very proud of yourself. Uh, call your agent, tell, ask for distribution, how many people are going to buy it. Uh, and then your publisher calls you and says, can I see something? And you go, oh, I'm getting there. And they've heard that a million times. And then uh, you realize you haven't written much and the book is due in six months. You write a chapter. It's not that good. And you start drinking a lot. And then your family starts to realize you're not spending time with them and you're drinking a lot and you're not working out and people start leaving you. And then you find you're alone. You can't pay your mortgage. Uh, you got to find somewhere to live. You move out to the desert into a trailer and you have a three-legged dog that comes by to eat some SpaghettiOs. And then with nobody to bother you, nothing to do, and only a three-legged dog to talk to you, go, there's nothing else to do but drink whiskey and write a book. That's how you write a book. That's good. Look, I, I just signed a, a pretty large book deal with Portfolio. I went through the exact same thing, but I did. I decided, you know what? I'm really good at talking, so I will talk my book, and I will hire Simon Sinek's writer to write what I talk. And that's how we're writing the book. Awesome. So, uh, yeah, you could do it that way as, as well. That's probably better. Uh, I'm with Portfolio. Who is your uh, Jim, editor? J well, Jim Levine is my agent who works with Eric Schmidt at Google, all those. He just did Ray Dalio's principles. Uh, my editor at Portfolio, her name is Leah. And uh, my writer uh, is named Maria, who, and she did all Simon's work. Oh, great. Awesome. Yeah. Congratulations. Great. Yeah, it's I'm a great group. Okay, I'm good. With Stephanie. Let me yeah. so so let me let me shift back for a second. So let me pick your brain first on capital markets today. So first off, debt is like all over the place today, especially for B2B SaaS companies. You have folks like Lighter Capital, SaaS Capital, 1.4, 1.5x repayment caps over three to five years. If you're working with a software company today and they're looking at raising capital, where do you think the cheapest money is? Yeah, I mean, you have to be careful just throwing around lighter capital. I mean, we're working on a deal with them right now. You know, if I just go to my email and click on this, you know, hey, feedback on lighter capital. Uh, here we go. Lighter call from this morning. Whoa, what's going on here? Uh, lighter capital feedback from this morning. Here we go. Uh, threshold, no more than 40% of revenue concentrated one client. Uh, we have 50% revenue in the moment. Top three clients would be no more than 60% of revenue. And so we'd fail that test as well. So there's lots of uh, cap. So the capital markets, I don't think for small companies, there isn't a market. Define small, less than what amount of revenue? Sure, less than 10 million of revenue. And this would be my insight for you. There, there isn't a market to go to. You, people come to us and say, hey, can you raise us capital, right? Can you take us to the market, to the capital markets? Capital markets are for, you have, you know, 27 Jiffy Lubes, you're doing 8 million in, in aggregate uh, EBITDA, and then you can go to the markets and there is a deal there waiting for you. That is a market. You're a SaaS company with $5 million in pro forma revenue for 2018, $7, $8 million for uh, 2019 pro forma, you know, whatever, 20, 30, 50 billion, uh, you know, for 2021 pro forma revenue. There isn't a market for that deal. You have to make the market and then sell into it. So if you're within the sound of my voice, that is one thing that 
you should think about when you go, we're going to take our deal out. We're going to go on a road show. We're going to go to a market. We're going to look for investors. You have to first think about how do we make a market? And then you have to think about how do we sell into that market? I don't know what you mean. I don't know what you mean when you say, when you, when you say make a market. Uh, sure. So when you, um, what you have to do is you have to find 15 to 25 potentially interested investors and season them into a working group of people who are interested in your deal. What most guys do is they go to market, they find you know one or two guys who are interested, and they go, okay, we found a potential deal, and they start to track with those companies. That is not enough uh, because of the peculiarity of a small deal and the nuances and the needs and demands of investors in that small deal market, the speed at which they work and the requirements they have, one or two potentials, in my view, is not enough to close with, or it's not enough to close well with, and you get retraded at the end of the deal. So you have to do a broader process with a better pitch to the markets and find a range of people who are partially interested. Then you gotta season that group and try and mature them into a smaller, but more seasoned group, call it you know six or seven, who are in diligence. So you have, and then with a seasoned group of um, six, seven, eight in diligence, you got to try and find two or three to get to an LOI or a definitive agreement. And try and close with one. That's what I mean by making a market. Is not starting going, uh, talking to a bunch of people who are, feel like the market, finding one or two people interested, and trying to run off and close with them. Yeah, said said in a sentence. More options, the better. Go, don't focus on two options. Create twenty options. The, yeah, I think the framing on that is important. You got to think of there isn't an a, there isn't an existing trading market for these smaller uh, tertiary market SaaS deals. So I spoke for a venture group in Palo Alto, uh, and this is very common. Which you know, one? I said, hey, I got a couple companies. Uh, it's clear. Clearview. So, yeah. So. Um, you know, say they got a company, a couple companies might be interested in looking at, I think they're a good fit, you know, from what I've seen from your portfolio and what we talked about here today. And they said, listen, gotta be San Francisco. I mean, prefer Palo Alto, Atherton, Mountain View. Can we walk to a meeting and see them? So there's so much deal flow up there. If you're in Cincinnati, if you're in Chicago, um, you know, we have a good company that is in, uh, that we're working with that's actually in Florida. Um, you know, if you're in the North Pacific North, if you're in the Northeast Pacific Northwest, if you're in Austin, in some ways, um, the San Francisco is not a great, you know, nobody really wants to invest in a small company sort of with $15 million pro forma revenue that's in Austin all the way from San Francisco. How do you sit on the board? It's very distracting. So, you know, these are geographic markets as well. And that makes them even more smaller. Yeah. These, so yes, debt, need- these debt guys though, I mean, I work pretty closely with, with SAS capital, lighter capital, Scaleworks, all these guys. I mean, it's a formula for them. If you check the 10 boxes, you're good. They're going to write you a check for up to four X your monthly recurring revenue. You're going to pay it back over three years and your repayment cap is going to be 1.5 ish. And it's going to be one to 6% of your monthly recurring revenue. So that, so to me, I don't see those, right? If you can just go to lighter, uh, or, you know, six of those guys, I don't see them. Right. I see the ones that are outside of that. So if you don't check the boxes for lighter, where do you go? That's I, then the I see. I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. OK, right, good. Right. So, so if you think about if you think about an investment banker, right, what are investment bankers? I mean, they're sort of lawyers, not sort of they're, they're basically uh, lawyers with a reversed re- business model. Right. So um, 
when somebody comes to us, it's because they couldn't do it on their own. They couldn't do it at LegalZoom. They couldn't just walk into one of those firms and they say, hey, um, you know, we're outside. We have too much customer concentration. We have, um, you know, our MRR is not growing, you know, fast enough or we're loaded up too much with debt and we need to recap before, you know, whatever. So there's some problem that has to be solved. When you go out to the market to solve problems, uh, then, then you know that's what I'm saying. You need to have enough volume in firms to be talking to. Yep, nope, that makes sense. Um, once you have these options, let's say you've created 10, 20 options, um, the art of creating a forcing function, right, to get people to give you the damn LOI, and then you know create another forcing function to actually decide what LOI you're going to sign and try to get them to bid up. Tell me about some forcing functions you really enjoy using that you've seen be very effective for getting people to actually you know cough up LOIs. Sure. So. Uh, you know, the first one and is the most obvious is you provide it to them, right? So when you have a good enough pitch, you can do broad enough outreach. You can get enough people into your process and have them interested. Then you have much less risk saying, here's the LOI we're interested in doing. If it's outside the bounds for you, we totally understand. We'll move on. So that's the number one forcing function is, you know, and many, it's not as familiar for startups, but really most of the capital markets work that way, right? Here's our deal. This is our subscription, uh, you know, here's our sub docs. Um, here's our, uh, you know, closing documents. You can sign up for this or not. It's not we're waiting for an LOI uh, to come in. And so the second one is to not get involved with an LOI that is sort of a typical valley, one paragraph. We're interested in investing in the company, you know, up to $10 million, um, you know, at a valuation range of up to 15 based on uh, normal due diligence processes. That's not an LOI, right? And, and so the second force of function is really having enough meat in the LOI that it can then be translated fairly easily into a definitive agreement. Uh, so that's the second one. And, and um, I think the third and maybe the most important one is saying, hey, on this date, we're accepting LOIs and beyond that, you're out and we're moving forward with people who have crossed that threshold. Right. And and either submitted or signed up for ours. Right. Non-binding LOIs happen on May 22nd, whatever day that is. Right. Um, beyond that, you're out. And so that to me would be probably the most effective. I think founders are, you know, and small companies are most nervous about doing that. But I think you find if you execute on that strategy, it is the thing that is most likely to tip somebody in. And there is very little risk in proposing that because if some professionals, if they really can't get to that date, May 22nd, they'll say, listen, Nate, Oren, uh, we totally appreciate where you are. You know, and, and so this is a frame, right? Hey, we're a early stage company. We move fast in execution. We're not working with finance firms that feel like it's gonna take 120 days, 150 days, we wanna stretch out 160 days financing. That's not the ethic that we're looking for in our investors. The ideal investor for us understands um, the nature of a uh, fast-growing small firm, the need for speed, uh, the limited nature of due diligence. Of course, we need it, um, and the the small amount of legal that we're interested in. If that you guys are feeling a lot more like a mid-stage firm, if you can't get ahead. Um, if you can't get on board for working at the pace, at the speed, yep. with the requirements yep. of a small company, then you're probably not a fit for us. So. Um, but, but when you go and you say, hey, May 22nd is really the when we need to get an LOI by, otherwise we're going to move on as a force factor, forcing function, as you said, uh, some people will blow up. 
and they'll say, who do you think you are? You know, you don't dictate terms to us. We need more time. That is really the code. The, the subtitles to that is we don't have the money or we haven't raised the money. We're a pledge firm um, where we're probably not going to do your deal. You're just a pipeline function for us, right? Real guys will say, listen, totally appreciate your need for May 22nd. Understand you need to move quickly. However, our, you know, our partner is, uh, is traveling. He won't be back to the 25th. Could you extend us to the 26th? We just need another week. And at least you're right? still so going pers- to still still gonna day down. Yeah, exactly. Very good. Well, look, we, we're, we're running out of time. We've got about three minutes left. I want to shift very quickly back to the book. So, so pitch anything. There's a lot of books on pitching. Why should people buy the book? Why should they read it? I mean, I don't sell my own, you know, like <laughs> when you sell your book, don't accept anybody to ask that question. I don't sell the book. Uh, so, so, I mean, it's been one of the number one business books in the world. It's in 20 different languages. Um, sold over a million copies. Yeah, but, but you, you um, can cite all the data. Tell, tell me why. I mean, what are people getting out of it? Why, what are they getting out of it? If you feel in any way that when you go into pitch, you are needy or positioning yourself as the supplicant or asking an investor or a buyer for their money in a way that makes them seem powerful and you seem like you need the money, that is the worst possible situation to be in because it's asking for something from the low status needy position. When a buyer or investor sees you as low status, they have difficulty on listening to you, appreciating what it is you have. And they say things like, thank you for coming to present. We appreciate you coming in today. If you could send us the information, we'll get back to you uh, in a week or two. Once we uh, have learned more, we're going to talk about it in committee. If you never want it, end the presentation again. So that's our presentation thank you very much. Do you have any questions or is this something you'd be interested in? Pitch anything is a solution for that dilemma of never having to be needy or ending a presentation saying, so what do you think? Is that something you'd be interested in? That's the most I know about it. Launched in 2014. You said over a million, uh, over a million books sold so far. Uh, easily. Yeah. That's great. So we have, you know, it's, it's in languages and audio and, uh, not to mention the stolen ones. I don't really keep track of those, but there's a lot of those. McGraw-Hill, once they see a book, well, that's a runaway success. It's a very rare thing. They always try and do another deal. Why haven't you written another book or have you? And I just don't know about it. Yeah, I have another book coming out uh, and it'll be out in first quarter of 2019. What's the working title? Do you have one yet? Yeah, The User's Guide to Power. What power is, how to get it, what to do when you have it, when you lose it, how to get it back, um, why you should get it in the first place, what it's good for, what it's not good for, and how to make money with it. And via the investment uh, firm that you're working with over the next 12 months, about how much deal flow you think you'll process? Uh, So we'll do five to seven deals a year. Okay, good. And what's the average size of those deals? 50, 60 million? Uh, So the... um, We don't... Yeah, beware the statistician who drowned in a river with an average depth of three feet. Yeah. I mean, so we're working on, you know, so sometimes a large investment bank, Morgan Stanley, will call us in to assist. So I'm working on a $36 billion deal in an assist mode on the pitch and, you know, in the framing. And we're working on a a $10 million raise. But so in general, we would like to be working on uh, $20 to $30 million of capital in both senior, mez, and equity. Got it. Per deal. Per deal. Yeah, good. So it sounds like you have a nice combination of you're actually doing these deals yourself to the tune of several hundred million per year. And then additionally, because of your book and the success and the branding, these other big, big deals are retaining you for things very specific like pitches. Exactly. All right, Oren, very good stuff. Let's wrap up here with the famous five. Number one, besides your own, what's your favorite business book? 
my favorite business book um, is uh, Michael Porter's uh, from Harvard University, uh, Competitive Advantage. Great book. Number two, is there a CEO you're following or studying right now? A CEO, um, I'm, I'm anti-following Elon Musk and sort of trying to look behind the surface and uh, deconstructing the, the mystique. Number three, what's your favorite online tool uh, for building a business? Uh, online tool for building business is Odesk. Okay, number four, how many hours of sleep do you get every night? Uh, how many? Sleep, hours of sleep. Eight to 10. That's pretty good. And what's your situation? Married, single, you have kiddos? Oh yeah, I got a four-year-old. He plays hockey, uh, drives a Lamborghini, and is uh, sponsored by Gatorade. So uh, <laughs> I got a four-year-old and a beautiful wife, and we're a small little family. So, well, one kiddo, you know, so right? One kid. All right, yeah. and how old are you, Oren? Uh, old enough to know not to answer that question. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we'll, we'll say, we'll say late thirties, right? Last question. Yeah. That, this is why I ask, take us back to your 20 year old self. What do you wish he knew? Oh yeah. So 20, uh, focus on one thing and just hammer down until you're the world's best at it. Guys, there you have it. He started off helping companies buy, sell all kinds of debt, capital, equity, you name it. He's been there $2 billion in transaction volume. A lot of people have seen his work and said in 2014, you got to write a book. McGraw-Hill picked him up. Books called Pitch Anything, done very well, over a million copies sold. Uh, now, obviously, continuing to do uh, work around pitches and helping people pitch on multi-billion dollar deals. Also continuing with the investment banking work, doing several hundred million dollars per year there in transaction volume. Oren, thank you so much for taking us to the top. Yeah, thanks, Nathan. Good to meet you.